Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've just got a few short verses here, but this is you speaking to us. You breathed this out. You intended this to be written so that on this afternoon, on the South Bank, we would open it up and hear it preached and listen to you. So we're expectant, we're hopeful that your Holy Spirit will help us see, help us to understand and believe what we hear. Please transform our hearts so that we may love and obey the Lord Jesus, our Messiah. Amen. If you ever really um, screw up something really bad and publicly, big time, I think it can be very hard to get over that yourself. But even if you get over what you've done and all the embarrassment or whatever, other people might still really struggle to forget about what you've done and still kind of label you with this. So, I mean, some kind of silly examples. If I talk about the footballer Gareth Southgate, for many of us, Euro 96, when he missed that penalty, will forever hang over his, his head. It's just something he's never going to be able to escape. He screwed up big time. We all saw it, and we're never going to let him forget it. Or... Um, For me, when I think of Boris Johnson, I can't help but see the guy on the zip wire with the little flags. You know, however much you might respect him as a politician, I always see him on the zip wire with the little flags doing his thing, and I can't get away from it. But I find that I also do this, see people in that way and not let the past go. I do that on a more personal level too. Here's what I think we do. I think we have this kind of uh, league table of people So on top, you'd have those with the smiley face, those who you respect, who you think are great, who you think are really useful people. You love them and they're accepted. And, you know, I don't know who you'd fill in in those those kind of labels there. But then down under the line, we've got a bunch of people who have just dropped right out of favor with us. People who have done things or said things that mean they can't be up there for us anymore. We find them unacceptable maybe even unforgivable for what they've done. And once they've done it, it's, it's very hard for them to ever make it up again and get back up into our good books. I wonder who you'd fill in on those labels, those who are at the top who you just think are great, but also those who maybe you find hard, uh, you struggle to accept and love because of past things that they've done. And I'm particularly thinking of Christians. Who in your life maybe has done something or perhaps someone you just struggle to get on with But in your kind of mental league table, they're unlovable to you. You struggle to see them without what they've done in the past labeling them. It might actually be that you put yourself there. You know, you'll never be able to see yourself as loved and accepted by God or by others because of that thing you did, that moment. And the problem is, I think that in our world, you can go down Right? You can fall, you can make the mistakes, but to go up again, to be accepted by people, you've got to seriously work hard to prove yourself that you're changed or that you can 
be lovable again or forgiven or useful. It's hard to go back up in people's good books. Our former actions kind of hang over us, don't they? Now Philemon, who Paul is writing this letter to, he faces the same problem we do with his kind of mental league table of people. Which is odd, because we've been hearing all about just how loving he is. Okay, this has been the big deal in the letter. Have a look at verse, um, five, uh, verse 4. Paul says this about Philemon. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people, all the church, and your faith in the Lord Jesus. So we've been hearing about Philemon having this gospel love we've been talking about for other Christians. He gets that, well, if God loves them, then he needs to love them too. That's how it goes. And not just some Christians. Look at it, verse 5. Love for all his holy people. Philemon is full of this gospel love for all God's people. Okay, but now we've got to the point in the letter where it's crunch time for Philemon. The time has come for Paul to challenge Philemon's love to go deeper and further than it's ever gone before. Because, you know, there's one person who, if you said his name to Philemon, it would make his stomach churn. And it's this guy, Onesimus. Okay, so Onesimus has a broken relationship with Philemon. And the, and the point of this letter is Paul is trying to get them to reconcile their relationship. Okay, so what's the beef, right? What's the beef between Philemon and Onesimus? Well, in verse 12, we hear of Paul saying, well, I'm going to send him back to you. Okay, so Onesimus has left Philemon. Why is that a big deal? Well, because Onesimus was a slave in Philemon's household. Okay, so Philemon was a wealthy house owner, so he had lots of people working in his house. And when we talk about um, a slave in his household, think Downton Abbey, more than 12 years a slave, kind of deep south US thing. This is, this is a homeowner who, who employs all sorts of people in his house to do all sorts of things. So that was Onesimus. And so his running away is like one of the beloved characters in Downton Abbey, running like Mr. Bates or someone, just running away from the family. So for a slave to run away was illegal, so it's a big deal. But also, can you see how it's a kick in the teeth for Philemon? You know, Onesimus would have lived in his house. By all accounts, Philemon's a great guy, a good boss, owner. He, he would have taken care of Onesimus, and now he's just ditched him. You can see why Philemon would be hurt. So where do you think Onesimus stands on Philemon's mental league table? Well, he's going to be down here, isn't he? Because of what he's done. In fact, we get a hint of it in verse 11, what label Philemon might use. Look at verse 11. Paul says, Formerly he was useless to you. It looks like Philemon's label for Onesimus down there is, What a useless guy. And you think, Fair enough. Right? He's a runaway slave. Philemon's been a good and loving and fair employer. Onesimus has ditched him. Was Onesimus a useful slave? No, he was useless. So here's the situation for Philemon. Onesimus is categorized in, in his mind as, as useless. Their relationship's broken. And remember, we said it's almost impossible for people to go from being down here, useless, to being up here in a place of acceptance and love, useful. But why does Paul think it's so important to get Philemon and Onesimus to 
reconcile? Why not just go, okay, guys, you've fallen out, just, just stay apart for a while? Something's happened to Onesimus. He's become a Christian. He's become a Christian. Have a look at verse 10. Paul says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Okay, what does that mean? Somehow Onesimus, when he ran away, encountered Paul, who's probably in Rome, and he's in chains, he's in, under house arrest. And Onesimus, it says, has become my son. That's Paul's way of saying he's become a Christian. He's become a Christian. Now that's got to make a difference. Onesimus and Philemon can't both be Christians and yet have this ongoing beef towards each other. Philemon can't just relegate Onesimus down here in the way he sees him. Do you remember, it talked about, um, Paul talked about Philemon having love for all of God's people. Well, if he's going to love all of God's people, then this relationship's going to need some attention. That's what the big therefore is there for in verse 8, where he says, therefore, you need to sort it out with Onesimus. He's saying, look, you've got all this gospel love for all Christians. Therefore, Philemon, we need to talk about Onesimus. Okay? But you'll know as well as I do, the fact that someone's a Christian doesn't instantly jump them up in our kind of mental league table. They still hurt us. Maybe they still annoy us. We still struggle to see Christians without the mistakes hanging over them. We still struggle to see ourselves without our sin hanging over us. Okay, so the big question is, can Philemon ever see Onesimus in a new way now he's become a Christian? Can Onesimus go from useless to being a useful partner for Philemon? And I want us to think about the people that we struggle with, the people who maybe hurt us. Can we see them in a new way? Paul says, yeah, we can. And here's how. And it's the theme that's been flowing through the letter, love. Here's the big thing we're going to see today. Gospel love creates a new way of seeing people. Gospel love creates a new way of seeing people. Radical love that comes from Christ is the only power that can overcome our struggle to allow people to leave their past behind and to see them in a new way. Gospel love creates a new way of seeing people. And here's how. This happens in two ways. It happens firstly by moving our hearts. Gospel love moves our hearts so we can see them in a new way. And secondly, by splitting past and present. These are the two things we're going to see. Gospel love creates a new way of seeing people by moving the heart and by splitting past and present. Let's think about that first one. Gospel love moving our hearts to see people in a new way. Have a look at verse 8. Paul says, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. So Paul starts by saying how he's not going to motivate Philemon. An odd way to start. He says, I'm not going to order you to do it. Some of us don't like confrontation. If you're the kind of person who wouldn't tell anybody to do anything, that might be you. That's not Paul, okay? He says, in Christ, I could be bold. 
He's an apostle, which means he's got this special authority from the risen Lord Jesus to lead the church. So he could go, look, Philemon, Onesimus has become a Christian. You guys need to sort it out. Just do it, all right? He could legitimately say that. But he says to Philemon, I'm not going to do it that way. Actually, I prefer to do it another way. He's not going to order. He's going to appeal. He's going to appeal to Philemon. Ordering says, do this because of my authority, which would be legitimate. Appealing says, I want to persuade you. I want your heart to be moved to do what you ought to do. Let me give you an example of how this could happen. So with my um, daughter, Rosie, when she's having a meal and say she's got some sweet potato, sweet potato, yummy, but it's orange. So that maybe like freaks her out because it's orange vegetable. And um, I could, as a dad, say, look, I'm your dad. Eat the sweet potato. And that would be legitimate. I have that kind of authority. Or I could say, Rosie, even though it's orange, it's really delicious. And it's really sweet. And you really like sweet things. Do you see, I'm, I'm appealing to her on the basis of what she loves. She loves sweet food. You're going to like sweet potato. Okay, so when Paul says to Philemon, I'm going to appeal to you, we should say, well, Paul, what are you going to appeal to in Philemon that's going to move him? He makes it dead clear. Verse 8. Sorry, verse 9. I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. This isn't referring to Paul's love. Hey, Philemon, I really love you, so do this. He's appealing to Philemon's love. Philemon's love should move his heart to see Onesimus in a new way. A couple of times already, Paul's talking about Philemon's love being so good. And now he says, Philemon, you know that love that you express for all Christians? I want you to tap into that love. And I want to appeal to that love to have it move your heart and extend your love to Onesimus as well. To see Onesimus in a new way. Why does Paul think that Philemon's love has the power to help him see Onesimus in a new way? Why can love move the heart? Well, remember what we've been learning over the last few weeks about gospel love. Gospel love is all about loving the unlovable because that's what God has done. Imagine the scene. We're on a beach. Ooh, very nice. There's sand and there's a couple walking along together. Um, Andy and Rachel, let's call them Andy and Rachel. And uh, Andy turns to Rachel and says, Rachel... um, she, she, she knows what he's going to say. He looks deep into her eyes. Deep. And um, he says, Rachel, I think you're ugly. Uh, I find spending time with you tolerable at the best of times. Now I've got to know you. I've truly begun to see that just how deeply flawed you are. But I love you. Slap. <laughs> okay? That's not how love works. Andy's got to know Rachel, and he's supposed to say, I've truly begun to see how wonderful you are, therefore I love you. But you know what? That strange scenario captures something of God's love for us. We think God looks us in the eye and says, Phil, you know, as I've got to know you more, I've truly begun to see just how awesome you are, how pure of heart, how useful you could be to me. So I love you. But that's not how God's love works. God says, Phil, as I've got to know, no, I know you better than you know yourself. 
I see every thought, every motive, every desire, everything you've ever said, everything you've ever done. It offends me. It angers me, the way you've treated me and treated others. I've truly begun to see how deeply flawed you are. You are truly unlovable, but I love you. You're not lovely, but I'm going to make you lovely. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to change you. That's how God loves. Do you see the difference? God doesn't think... I'm lovely, so decides to love me. He thinks I'm unlovable, but he loves me still. That's gospel love. God sees us in a new way because of Christ's death to forgive us. Now, if that's what gospel love is, then can you see why Paul appeals to that love in Philemon to help him see Onesimus in a new way? It's not that Onesimus has suddenly become lovely, It's not that what he did is just to be swept under the carpet. Oh, come on, Philemon, get over it. It wasn't that bad. No, what he did was serious. But that love that we have for each other starts with God's love for us. And if God sees us in a new way out of love, then this love can move our hearts to see each other in a new way. Do you see? God doesn't leave us relegated down here on his league table. In love, he sees us in a new way through Christ. And that means for Christians, well, we can't leave people down here either, but in love we should see them in a new way, the way God sees them in Christ. Gospel love moves the heart to see people in a new way because it loves the unlovable. Perhaps we struggle to accept some of the Christians because we've actually been appealing to the wrong motivation to move our hearts. When Martin Luther King Jr. gave his famous I Have a Dream speech, he appealed to a deep and powerful shared vision, the American dream. He used language of dream and freedom. He quoted from the Declaration of Independence. He didn't just say, hey, be nice. You should do this just because you should. This is your duty to accept us and see us in a new way. No, he appealed to something powerful enough to move the hearts of the nation, the American ideals that the nation was founded upon. That was effective to move the hearts of the country. He appealed to something that they believed in. So it's the same for us. If we try and move ourselves to accept other people who we struggle to accept simply by telling ourselves to do it, we're going to really struggle. It's not going to have much effect. I don't know if you've tried it. I'm going to try really, really, really hard to love this person. Oh, I still find them irritating. Or, you know, I'm still hurt. How's it going for you telling yourself to love them and accept them? It's hard just to do it. Only appealing to gospel love can move your heart to see people in a new way. Because the gospel's all about loving the hard to love, just like God does. Now, that love at work in us by the Spirit is the only power in the universe that can move Philemon to accept Onesimus. And it's the only power in the universe that can melt our hearts to love and accept those we find hard to love and accept. Do you struggle to let people move category in your mind in the way you see them? Perhaps it's because you've been trying to just make yourself do it instead of appealing to the gracious, sinner-loving love of God that he's put into our hearts. 
And here's a practical tip. I find that praying for people who I struggle to love really melts my heart. It's really hard to pray for someone and hate them at the same time because you're you're showing gospel love. You're expressing gospel love for them. You're praying the best for them. And you begin to see them as a fellow Christian to be prayed for rather than an irritation or an offense to be hated. So who is it you struggle to love, struggle to accept? Why not pray for them this week? Express your gospel love for them. Gospel love creates a new way of seeing people. And it does this first by moving our hearts. Okay, let's think a little bit more about what it means for us to allow people to move from a place where we see them as unacceptable to a place where we love and accept them in Christ. Do you remember um, Philemon's label, potentially, for Onesimus in verse 11? Useless. Formerly, he was useless to you. Paul wants to help Philemon to see Onesimus in a new way. Useful. Check it out in verse 11. Formerly... Onesimus was useless to you, but now he has become useful, both to you and to me. Useful. What do you think that means, for Onesimus to have become useful? It sounds a little bit cold, you know? It doesn't sound very loving to describe someone as useful. If I said, hey, I really love Josh because he's really useful, that's a little bit weird because it's like, well, I only love him because of what I can get out of him, Okay. That's not what Paul means. When we become Christians, we don't just join this place where we sit around together and wait for Jesus to come back. We enter into a life together where we're working to live for Christ, telling people about Jesus, helping each other keep going, following Christ. And so do you see how we then become useful to each other to help each other live for Christ? I think it's the difference between going to a restaurant and joining a sports team. Right, if I go to a restaurant, um, I'm not entering into some kind of shared vision and work and mission together with everyone else in the restaurant. So I've enjoyed my meal, and the waitress comes along and says, Mr. Tinker, how do you know my name? Anyway, uh, you know, did you enjoy your meal? And I'm like, yes, I did very much. And they say, good, but you weren't very useful to us tonight. That would be very odd for the waitress to call me out for not being useful. I'm not supposed to be useful. I'm supposed to sit there and enjoy my meal. But if I join a football team, I join a group where we're doing something together, you know, where I get to play my part. Do you see how there it matters? It's good to be useful. You're part of the team. And that's how Paul speaks of Onesimus. Now he's become a Christian and joined the church. Look at verse 13. We'll think about these verses next week, but I want you to see it now. Verse 13, he says about Onesimus, I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. Paul's in chains, and he thinks, hey, Onesimus could be really helpful in looking after me and in serving me. See, useful isn't a cold thing. It's a, you're fully part of the family now. You're part of the team. You're serving. Okay, but the problem that Philemon faces is, well, what happened with Onesimus before? He was completely useless, wasn't he? He ran away. So surely you can imagine, you put yourself in Philemon's shoes, he's going to struggle to see how Onesimus can be anything other than useless. How even he could come back to his church and serve. Well, he's a runaway slave. How's he going to be helpful? Because like we said, once people have got a tarnished track record, it's very hard 
to believe they could be anything different now, even if they're saved. Their past means we don't believe their present can be any different. I think that's the problem. People's past means we think, oh, their present can't be any different. I think this is how we sometimes view other people in the church. There's this league table that we've talked about of usefulness based on past performance. And people's past sin means we don't think that their presence can be any different. Or maybe that's how you view yourself. You know your heart. You know your past. And you don't believe that you could be any use to God, any use to the church. You feel useless and you always will. You look at other Christians in the church, you think, oh, they're up there. They're useful, but not me. What can I ever contribute? Think again. Gospel love creates a new way of seeing people by splitting past and present. Have a look at verse 11 again. Look for the time words there. Past and present. Verse 11. Formerly, he was useless to you. But now, he has become useful both to you and to me. Do you see that? Formerly, but now. Paul splits Onesimus' history in two. Formerly, now. Past and present. Yes, he was useless. You know, Christians, we, we, we don't ignore the past. We're honest about it. We own up to what we've done. But the past is allowed to be the past in the church. There is a formally, and then there's a possibility of, but now. When you become a Christian, you become useful to God and his church. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. There aren't two categories of Christians, useful and useless. Every Christian is fully in the church family and is fully useful to God. Now, this split in time doesn't mean that there are no consequences from our past actions. In fact, later on in Philemon, we're going to see Paul offer to pay Philemon back for any money he's lost because Onesimus ran away. You see, there are, there are consequences to what Onesimus did, and Paul's going to help out with that. But he does want Philemon never to class Onesimus as some kind of second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. And it's the same for our church. There may be things that are inappropriate for us to do because of past things or even present struggles. Uh, we'll, we'll do things like criminal record checks if you're doing kids' work because it might not be best to do that. But, but hear this. That is not the same as saying that anyone is useless to God in his church. Some of you will have spent your life being told that you're useless. And even now, you still believe that. And you're living on this treadmill of life trying to prove that you're useful. You don't need to prove anything to God. When you trust in Jesus, God sees you in a new way. Which means there isn't a single person in this church who should be treated as useless to God and to each other. Because that's not how gospel love works. God doesn't say, hey, uh, my son died for you and I've forgiven you and you're in my church family. But because of that thing you did in the past, mm, I'm always going to be slightly suspicious of you. 
and you're not going to be useful to me. In fact, you're going to have to prove yourself useful to me. That's not how God works. God's love is so radical that everyone who trusts in Jesus has their life split into past and present. God forgives us for the past and even the things we do in the present. And he says, I'm going to gift you. I'm going to give you gifts. I'm going to help you to be useful to serve my kingdom. Let me tell you about a friend of mine called Dean. Dean came knocking on the door of a minister's house one day, basically because he was afraid of dying. Uh, He feared his kind of eternity and death. Now, Dean was part of the criminal underworld in the city which he lived. Um, He was an enforcer, which basically means if you don't pay the big guy, Dean would come around and extract the money from you, right? You know what I'm saying, okay? That was his job. But God had put this fear of death into his heart, and he came and he heard about the radical love of God, and he became a Christian. Dean had never read a book in his life, but he decided to buy the works of a guy called Luther and begin reading them, and he just had this hunger to learn about God. Now, past actions caught up with Dean, and he ended up being convicted and going to prison for a few years. But let me tell you that while he was in prison, he was an exemplary prisoner. He actually got transferred between prisons because the governors were fighting over who would have him. They all wanted him in their prison because he was such a good influence on everyone around him. He began, while in prison, to do a correspondence course with a Bible college because he wanted to grow in his knowledge of God. He, he, He wasn't an academic man. Now he's out of prison with a, with a damaged family and a lot of pain. And he's joined a new church plant. He's actually one of their trainees where he's serving to tell people about Jesus. Dean's past actions make Onesimus' actions look like child's play. Let me tell you that. But he encountered two things. He encountered two things. He met a God who loves him. And he met a church who had been so touched by this gospel love that they accepted him and saw him in a new way. The world would have relegated Dean as useless. But to God and to God's people, he was accepted and useful. If you ever feel like you can't escape the guilt of your past, then you haven't understood just how radical God's love is, and just how total Jesus' death for you is. Trust in Jesus for your forgiveness today, and God will split your life into two chapters, past and present, old and new. And he will never hold back love, getting you to prove yourself. No, he will help you live a new life, totally committed to you. And the church, Globe Church, this, this same love should be going on in us too. In our world, I think it's very hard to find groups of people who will accept anyone no matter what, despite failures. Well, can I introduce you to the church? We've all got skeletons in the closet. Join the club. But we've all encountered a love so radical that it loves the unlovable. And then... This love frees us to look at each other and say, even if we've hurt each other, to say, I'm going to see you how God sees you, accepted, useful, 
and loved in Christ. What an incredible love we've received from the Lord Jesus, and what an incredible love. Well, let's pray now that we would experience as a church family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to gaze at your love for a moment. We are stunned that you could love us. Lord, when we look into our own hearts, it's, we're ashamed and we're guilty. We know ourselves and we don't know how you could ever love us. And yet you know us better. You see all of that and yet... While we were still sinners, you loved us and gave Christ, your son, to die for us. Thank you for your powerful love that loves us and changes us and completely forgives us. Thank you that each of us who trust in Jesus have no track record before you. No past sins that you're remembering. Lord, you say in your word that as far as the east is from the west, and that is a long way, so far have you removed our past sins, our present sins from us. You don't see them anymore. You don't remember them anymore. What a love. We pray that we would know that for ourselves. And please, and this, is, Lord, this is the desire of our hearts as a church. Please help us to share that love with each other to truly be able to say to each other, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far your past sins are. Lord, in our hurt, in our pain, in our struggle to forgive, please empower us by your spirit to be able to love like you love. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.